Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we're in the midst of a study on creation in the book of Job. And in the last program, as we were looking at Job, we stopped at Job 1-7. That's right, Scott. We've talked about the man, Job, and then we considered that scene in heaven described in verses 6 and 7. So let's read that, and then we'll get into the conversation between the Lord and Satan. Job 1, 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Okay, Dr. Scripture, we're studying creation in the book of Job, and I know there's a lot of information specifically addressing creation in Job, but someone might question, what does this particular verse have to do with creation? Well, that's a good point, Scott. And the answer I'd give is that we have so little information in the Bible about the heavenly realm, which Mm. is part of the creation too. (laughs) So I, I tend to think that whenever we do get a glimpse into what goes on in heaven, it is related to creation because that's the only way we know anything about that part of the hmm. creation, which I would propose God made as part of day one of the creation week. In other words, when Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, included in the heavens was the spiritual heaven in which he and the angels dwell. So this would be what the Apostle Paul calls the third heaven? Yes, in Second Corinthians. Paul is describing how he received some of the revelation he was teaching. And he says in chapter 12 and verse 1, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, (laughs) such a man was caught up to the third heaven. You know, that's really interesting. (laughs) He gets this vision, revelation about heaven, the third heaven as he calls it, and he doesn't even know how he got there or (laughs) in what shape he was in when he was there. Very strange. We just don't have reference points for heaven. Probably he was overwhelmed by a lot of the details he was experienced at that point. (laughs) Yeah, really. So Anyway, here in the beginning of Job, we have this glimpse into the third heaven, Mm. and all these angels are in the presence of God. And of all things, the Lord singles out Satan and starts asking him questions. So I'll go on reading from Job chapter 1, starting at verse 7, and we'll go through verse 11 and get this whole conversation. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land." But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse thee to thy face. Dr. Scripture, you know, something I'm noticing in this exchange between God and the devil, Satan only speaks in response to the questions that God asks him. In in other words, it seems, well, at least with the Creator, (laughs) even Satan only speaks when spoken to. (laughs) That's that's really (laughs) an interesting observation, Scott. And yet here we are, frail human beings, Hmm. and God welcomes us to come and speak to him whenever we want, about pretty much whatever we want. And yet, you know, so often we take that for granted, or we don't even take advantage of that privilege that we have that perhaps even the angels don't have. 
And another thing that I want to notice is that God is the one who brings up Job. Yes, in this famous cosmic challenge, God's the one who threw down the gauntlet. Yeah, in a sense, and he's using Job. (laughs) It's fascinating. After Satan explains where he's been, it's as though God is asking him how things went. After all, (laughs) what Satan does as he roams around on earth is he looks for prey. Yeah. And not prayer like praying to God, (laughs) pray like a lion going after its meal. P-R-E-Y. Yeah. For example, Peter says, the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's as though God is almost ribbing Satan a bit by saying, how things go with Job, Satan. (laughs) But again, I think it's very important for us to realize it was God who initiates this whole episode involving Job and Satan. God knew Job's character, and he was going to test Job, all the while not allowing him to be tempted more than he was able to bear. (laughs) And think about how much Job had to bear. I mean, his faith was amazing. Uh, I couldn't agree more, Scott. And yet, here is an amazing fact concerning the book of Job. As much as we can see Job's trust in the Lord in the entire book, Job mentions his own faith in the Lord only twice. And they are hmm. profound statements indeed. In Job 13:15, he says this, Though he slay me, I will hope, or as the King James translates it, trust in him. And then in Job 14:14, 14, 14, he says, If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait. Or again, that's the same word that we could translate trust. All the days of my struggle, I will trust until my change comes. Wow. And of course, that's this famous passage on Job's understanding of the resurrection. Life after death. But isn't it instructive that Job's faith was evident not because he claimed he had faith, because he did that seldom. But he demonstrated his faith time and time again throughout the book. That's a very good point, Dr. Scripture. That makes me think of the words of Jesus to his disciples when he says, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that's a very sobering thought, isn't it? You know, that's recorded in Matthew chapter 7. Let's read that reference that you're referring to. Matthew seven twenty one says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And Jesus gives his disciples this warning in the form of a question in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, where he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? (laughs) And so we see that Job did not just call God his Lord. He treated him as Lord. And I think, as we had already noticed, that God knew Job's faith was not just lip service. And that was how he knew Job would be able to handle the trial he was about to bring into Job's life. So let's get back to the exchange between the Lord and Satan, because I want to point out something very important that the Lord says about Job and Satan's response to it. Notice what God says about Job in chapter 1, verse 8. There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. 
So God mentions these four wonderful traits of Job. Hmm. Could you imagine having God describe that about you or me? I could long that that would be something God could say about me. If you want anybody to brag about you, you'd want it to be God. (laughs) Right, that's for sure. But what does Satan zero in on of, of those things that God says? Well, as I recall, Satan only refers to Job's fear of God. Exactly. In verse 9, Satan responds back to God saying, Does Job fear God for nothing? Basically, he's saying that the only reason Job fears God is because he gets something in return, God's blessing. And then Satan essentially accuses Job of only fearing God because there's something in it for him. Hmm. But if God were to stop blessing him, so to speak, Satan predicts that Job would curse God to his face. In other words, he would demonstrate that he didn't fear God at all. (laughs) You know, Dr. Scripture, to curse God to his face would have been about the stupidest thing anyone could possibly do. Yet there is Satan saying that that is something Job would do given the right or wrong circumstances. (laughs) wrong is right. Well, stupid is one way of describing it, and another would be unwise. Mm. And isn't it interesting that Job knows that very well? Listen to what he says in Job 28, 28. And to man, God said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. That sounds like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, I've heard that somewhere, haven't you? (laughs) Yeah. So the Lord, knowing Job's true attitude towards himself, allows Satan to go ahead and see if his accusation against Job is valid. So in Job 1.12, it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Then what follows in verses 13 and on, we'll not read those right now, we see that Satan is allowed to do all these terrible things to Job, take away his wealth, and of course the most awful thing, kill his children, all ten of them. Yet it's just amazing to me that with God's testimony about Job, Satan is able to turn everything around and turn it into an accusation. But this is nothing new. In fact, this is something that Satan has done from the very beginning, all the way back basically in the Garden of Eden. (laughs) You know, he makes a subtle accusation against God to Eve when he asks Eve, did God say you couldn't eat anything? And then he essentially accuses God of not having Adam and Eve's best interest Mm -hmm. in mind. And then we go all the way to the very end of the Bible. If we look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, we're going to see another example of the fact that Satan has access to heaven, just like we saw there in the book of Job. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. So notice this text is telling us that Satan has access to heaven and he accuses the children of God continually, Hmm. just like he was essentially accusing Job here before God when God was asking him about, had he seen Job or how did he do with Job? (laughs) And what's important to realize is that Satan has legitimate reason to accuse us. We are sinners, and there are things that we have done that Satan can stand before God and say, hey, what about this? What about that? And the only thing that saves us is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, if we have received his forgiveness, if we have claimed him as our mediator, as our Savior— Jesus Christ claims that, yes, but those sins that we are rightfully accused of are forgiven because of his sacrifice for us on the cross. 
So let me ask you, listener, today, does Satan have a valid claim against you? Mm. Can he accuse you and not only accuse you, but the Lord says, you know what, you're right, and there's nothing to stop my judgment against that person? If he can, that's a sobering thought, because who in the world would indeed stand before God and curse him to his face or say, I don't want the forgiveness that you've made available to me through Jesus Christ? And so, just because you may call the Lord... Lord, it doesn't mean that indeed you've made him your Savior, that you have made him your Lord. Luke 6.46 says, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood rose, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. That describes the house Job built, but the Lord goes on to say, But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house upon the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and it immediately collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.